something to say. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today we're going to be talking about the new episode of Star Trek Discovery, an obble for Sharon. Before I get started talking about this episode, um, I, I have to say it was a very difficult episode for me to watch. There are a lot of people in my life right now that are having very serious health problems, and watching this episode brought a lot of that, a lot of those feelings out and a lot of those feelings up. I actually cried a couple times while watching it. So if I get overly emotional during this podcast, I apologize, but it... It, it might happen. And I just wanted to explain that up front because that does color my appraisal of this episode quite a bit. Before we get into spoilers, um, I wanted to cover a couple things. One, an obel is a coin that would be placed in the mouth of the deceased in ancient Greece to pay Charon, the ferryman of the dead, to take you to the Elysian Fields. So that's what the name of the episode refers to, an obel for Sharon. Um, so that's a beautifully obscure title, and one of the things that I actually like about this episode. So the basics on what happened in this episode is the Enterprise is chasing... Uh, the Enterprise. The Discovery is chasing Spock, and... They get pulled out of warp by a mysterious sphere. Things begin happening. We get more into what's going on with Tilly. And the process that um, his people go through before they die starts happening with Saru. And nothing even close to hilarity ensues. It was overall a good episode. It was, for various reasons, I think one of the more powerful episodes of Discovery that I've seen. Like I said, it comes about at a point in my life where I am thinking of a lot of people who are having various health issues. And as such, it that colors my opinions a lot. Rebecca Romaine makes her first appearance in Star Trek in this episode, and I, I wish there was more. She appeared as number one, simply referred to as number one. She's Rebecca Romaine. She's amazing. She's awesome. And I was so glad. Like, I actually hooted audibly when she beamed onto the Discovery. <laughs> I, I'm very excited to see what they do with Rebecca Romaine. There is part of me that believes that by some point in this season, she will become the new captain of the Discovery. We'll see. 
but I am excited about that. And we'll see what they're going to do, because they said they're going to give her a backstory, they're going to give her a name and an actual character. We got none of that in this episode. She just kind of shows up, explains what's going on with the Enterprise, gives them a means to track Spock, and then she's gone. But we're supposed to be seeing a lot more of her. I can't wait. I, I love Rebecca Romaine. I've stated that quite boldly quite often on this on this podcast. So, yeah, I am very happy about that. Tignataro is back in this one, and we will definitely talk about that when we get to spoilers. All in all, it was a good episode. It felt to me like an episode of TNG. And I mean that in the best possible way. I can think of like three or four episodes of TNG that hit me like this one did. It also affected me. I can't remember the name of the episode, but the episode of Deep Space Nine where Nog is living in the hollow suite. It, it really emotionally like connected with me in a way that Star Trek Discovery hadn't up until this point. And this is where, you know, any attempt of, for me to be objective completely gets thrown out the window because I don't know how much of it's because of how it, you know, paralleled events that I'm going through in my own life and, or how much of it was just objectively the quality of the episode. I think the acting was very good in this. Um, Shaniqua Martin-Green, who plays Michael Burnham, continues to show what a great actress she is. Anthony Rapp was great. Doug Jones was so good in this episode, but I I don't talk about how good an actor he is <laughs> nearly enough because, you know, I've been a fan of his since... I mean, he first came into my reckoning with the first Hellboy movie, and I've just, you know... I loved him in Falling Skies. You know, he's just been such a good actor for so long, you sometimes forget to say what a good actor he is. Um, yeah, good episode. I, I don't know how much more I can discuss before getting into spoilers, so let's do that. If you have not seen an Abel for Sharon yet, and you want to remain relatively unspoiled you should go watch the episode and come back and listen to the podcast afterwards. Okay. I'm going to take it that we are all adults and those who don't want to hear spoilers have already left. Okay. Um, the, the main premise of the show, which is interesting and I want to see how it plays out is that they encounter a large sphere of unknown origin that is, it has captured the discovery in a stasis field. The discovery cannot move. It has infected the computer with a virus. I have to say the scene where everybody is speaking different languages because the universal translator um, <laughs> stopped working and, well, malfunction, because initially everyone begins speaking Klingon. And then 
it just completely stops working. And if it wasn't for Saru and his ability to actually speak quite a few languages, you know, they would have really had a tough moment there for a bit. Now, I, I like this thematically throughout the season because they did mention the fact that Saru learned an insane number of languages. And to see that actually come into effect, I really liked that. I, I liked the idea that the sphere was trying to communicate with them. And yeah, I, I think that if this episode is going to have more meaning than it appears to at this point, they're going to find some information in all of the story that they downloaded from the sphere that will help them solve the problem by the end of the season. That this is where they're going to find the answers that they need to fix whatever the overriding problem is this season. Because we still haven't gotten to that. Um, so yeah, that was good. Um, really enjoyed that. The de dealing with uh, Tilly and the fungus parasite thing that they pulled out of her. That was an interesting part of the show. I, I, I'm really having weird experiences with them because I really like the interplay between Stamets and Tilly. I think they're very good characters to play off of each other. It's kind of like in a very different way, but kind of like Jordy and Data, how they worked really well together and they were an odd couple that made for very interesting dramatic pairings between them. And the stark differences in personality between Tilly and Stamets works in a way that I rather enjoy. When you bring Jet into the situation, Tignataro's Jet Reno, because of course she's named Jet Reno, like, if Jet Reno didn't exist, we would have to invent her. Fascinating character. Getting to see Jet interacting with Tilly and Stamets was hilarious. It, it really worked. It brought the only levity that the episode had. Because we know that Jet Reno has been able to do some crazy things. Because, as she put it, she's an engineer and can read. And a lot of those skills really get brought into effect in this episode as they're trying to save Tilly. It was an interesting, interesting episode that I, tells us a lot more about Stamets than it does about Tilly. Because, of course, with the great reveal that, you know, so much happened under the hallucinogenic effects of the mycelium creature which of course we're going to deal with more next episode it worked it was interesting i'm curious to see where they're going with it i i i have to say the moment where tilly and stamets start singing is one of the moments that i started crying it was beautiful it was emotional it it hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting it. It was a profound moment in the episode and I'm glad that it happened. 
It's also one of those moments where you kind of wish that they were more like the original series where they could find excuses to have Nichelle Nichols sing because she's a great singer and they have Anthony rap and it would be great to have more excuses to have him sing. This was a good reason to have him sing. I am glad they didn't invent a song. The fact that they went with Bowie really touched me and the song was very touching for anybody who has a problem with them using 20th century music in a 23rd century show. I I just have to point you to a quote from, this feels so weird to say, Orville creator Seth MacFarlane, have you ever heard what future music sounds like on a TV show? So it was a good choice. It, 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 It was profound, it was affecting, it worked rather well. I also felt that Pike worked out a lot more. He felt a lot more like his character from The Cage, in that he was fairly quick to anger, fairly quick to aggression. And it was nice to see that kind of continuity that they brought to the character in that way. I've been rather enjoying how um, Ensign Mount has been playing him. And it felt like what Pike would do in this situation. Just let's blow it up and go. Because he's very much that kind of a character. Just blow it up and let's go. And then we get to Saru's story. Um, Okay, so Saru's species, as we've discovered from the first season has the ability to sense death and part of that is sensing their own time when their time has come when it is time for them to be harvested or to go mad before dying i feel that this episode is doing several things with that And I kind of want to talk about that before we go into how they actually pulled that off. One, this season has been a soft reboot from season two, um, from season one, which is why it, it surprises me so much that they're taking time, so much time to react to events from season one. But, you know, they take... They set up in season one that Saru can sense fear in the episode, since death coming. They've used that to great effect in several episodes of the show. But I think that this became a writing constraint that they didn't want to deal with anymore. And one of the reasons this episode happened was so that they could reboot his character and take that power away from him. So that he doesn't become a death detector when it's unwarranted in the story. Because he kind of gives would give up the game if, for example, we're going to meet Spock and it's not really Spock. It's some crazy alien thing and that looks like Spock or something like that. You know, having him still be able to sense death, that would give it up. Though... The fact that it didn't with Tyler in season one, which just annoys me to no end. And I think they heard people like me complaining about that in season one. So they just decided to take that superpower away from him. 
This also gives them a bit more leeway to develop his character any way that they want, because he's no longer defined by his major um, attributes of fear and the ability to sense death. So we'll talk about this more after the break. And we're back. Okay, so all in all, between the two reboot things that they did, which is the reboot of Seru and, oh, don't you know, the holographic technology is for some reason incompatible with the Enterprise, and so they're going to have to rip it all out, which, of course, is why it isn't there in Star Trek, the original series. Okay, fine. I knew they were going to have to find some excuse to get rid of it because it is one of the things that takes you out of continuity in a way because we didn't see anything like it in the the original series or the next generation. So it, uh, it it's a weird retcon that of something that they didn't have to do in the first place that they did because reasons. But the fact that they actually took time to put that into the series, and of course, I think eventually we're going to find out that so much of the technology is going to have to be changed for some reason, and that's going to explain why they appear to be at a higher tech level in Discovery Season 1 than we are in the original series Season 1. But that's part of this ongoing retcon that keeps happening. So, Saru. So, Saru initially thinks that he has a cold, and there's kind of a cute moment with the Saurian officer on the ship, because, you know, they so obviously took the moment with him and his cold in the previous episode, blah, blah, blah. Um, it turns out that he's sick, he's dying, he's just reached the natural end of his life, but not naturally, it's something about the sphere that has caused this to happen dot 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 Saru is dying can we save him no we can't so you get this protracted meditation on letting go of people in your life that you may not want to let go of but there's nothing that you can do to save them and as I said you know with everything going on in my own life right now that was a very um, affecting storyline to have. The scenes between Doug Jones and Shaniqua Martin-Green were powerful. And they were more powerful because of everything that they went through in season one. Like This is one of those few times where they've referenced things from the first season that it actually had an effect on me that it worked because going back to see what was going on with Laurel and you know Tyler on Kronos I, I I don't care but the references to the rocky relationship between Saru and Michael and how over time they learned to trust each other again and learn to be friends to the point where they consider each other family was it was profound because we actually got to witness that occur through season one in a way that was very natural and that worked. 
it's one of the strongest plot threads in season one, other than the mirror mirror stuff that they did, which I think worked. I, I it was poorly set up, but we've talked about that on previous episodes. I'm not going to rehash it again now. And so seeing them having this shared moment where she doesn't want to let him go. And it's per- it's kind of a two part thing because he's one of her last connections to the Shinzo and he, her last connection to Philippa Giorgio, who was her mentor and really meant a lot to both of them. And it's that shared family where Giorgio kind of becomes the matriarch and they become siblings that it made so much sense through both the movies and the short trek. This is one of those episodes that actually made the short trek that they did about Saru really work and, you know, understanding how Saru came to join the Federation and how he, you know, became a Starfleet officer. It, my experience of watching this was enriched by having watched that short trek. And I didn't think that they were going to tie in all that much, but you know, this is one that, you know, it worked for me. It worked fairly well for me. And I liked that. Now, having said that, I, I really do. Well, while it was emotional and it worked and it worked within the theme of the show and of the episode in and of itself, where this ancient sphere creature thing is basically wanting to give its last testament. It wants to share everything that it has seen over its hundreds of thousands of years of life with them before it dies. And so it works within the theme of the episode and it was very emotionally effective and it gave a way to solidify the relationship between Michael and Saru in such a concrete way that we really know where they're coming from now. And we see how much their relationship has grown and developed and how they work as a family group and how her relationship with Saru has shown her that she has to mend her relationship with Spock. So that works thematically with what they're trying to do in the show. And I don't want to fault it for that. You know, I I really want to give it props for that. But I really feel like the entire purpose of this episode was to reboot the character of Saru. And instead of just having him act differently, since they're doing this kind of slow boil reboot throughout the season, they had to basically take us back to the first time we really meet him where his ganglia come out and we get his explanation of how his species live in fear constantly and fear is the basic emotion that they have all the time and that they can sense the coming of death the entire function of this episode seemed to me twofold they needed to show his character growth and as a character that's something that he should be getting beyond in some way shape or form by now 
because of how much he's been able to help others, how many he has saved himself that should have eroded some of his natural pessimism by now. And, you know, he has survived so many instances where he should have died. You know, he should be having more control over that. And, well, not necessarily more control, but at least less pessimism than his character has exhibited in the past. Because they had made this a biologically determinative thing, I feel like this was the solution they came up with to allow for his character growth through an almost metamorphosis of him. Like I started wondering at one point in the episode, whether or not his entire appearance was going to change. Cause you could see where they were heading. At least I could see where they were heading about midway through the episode. And I wondered if, he was going to learn that everything that he had grown up knowing was a lie, that the harvest was actually because they were kind of the pupil stage of the adult race and that he was going to transform into the other. And that could eventually still happen in story because it did not happen in this episode. Doesn't mean that that's not going to happen in the story, but mm, I, I, I don't think that that's, where they're going with it. I do think that they just wanted to change his character and used this mechanism to do that. And in some ways that is a little manipulative, you know, here you're going to lose this character that we've gotten you invested in. Oh no, you're not. But now they're different. Aren't you happy? It, it's, I don't know. We'll have to see what the changes in Saru's character are and how they manifest going forward. Like if he becomes cocky and overly sure of himself, if that's part of a plot arc of him learning to live outside of the state of fear that he had been trapped in his entire life. Okay. I can see that that could work. I'm not going to complain, but I, I don't want to see them just radically change the character for the sake of radically changing the character you know, he still needs to be thoughtful. He still needs to, you know, operate with some caution because just because he's not fear, feeling fear all the time, that shouldn't change his judgment because his cautious nature was not just because he felt fear all the time. It's because he's a very rational thinker who worked his way through a lot of the issues and saw the possible problems that could arise along the way. So I, I don't know how they're going to deal with that going forward. And I, I do have some concerns <laughs> that they are just going to radically change him. Since everything else has been so gradual this season, as far as the retcon of season one goes, I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think that that's what we're going to see in the end, but eh. Well, you know, it's TBD. It's like so much with the show. Like it's, it's TBD all in all. It was, I don't know if I would say it was one of my favorite episodes of D of, a uh, 
discovery so far, it's close. It really is up there as far as what are my favorites. But we'll have to see what the ramifications of it are in some ways, because I I don't know how much... I, I really can't divide this out in my own mind. I don't know how much of it... I enjoyed because it was good, it was well-written, it was definitely well-acted. It was definitely well-acted. That's one thing that I can say with absolute certainty. It was very well-acted. But, you know, because of the paralleling to experiences that I'm currently going through, I may have had a much deeper reaction to it than I would under other circumstances. So take that take, take my glowing review of this episode with a grain of salt but I, all in all i think it was pretty good i am curious to see where they're going with this especially with may and tilly i didn't talk about that much because you know it it didn't it was a lot of beats to go nowhere because so much of what happened turned out to be a psilocybin hallucination which i have to say watching stamets and reno kind of have that moment <laughs> tripping together that, that was fun and you know fun that was necessary for a show like this but we'll see we'll really have to see where it, this ends up going from here it looks like Giorgio is going to be back in the next one so I don't know <laughs> I liked it I am continuing to like this season of discovery and if you haven't given discovery a try i would recommend that you do i think it's at that point where i would recommend it as far as the show goes season one was rough but once it all came out together i think it was definitely worth watching collectively which is the problem that i think season one had is it would it would have benefited from being binged i get a feeling that i'm going to have a similar feeling at the end of season two but the individual episodes are standing up a bit better on their own. Well, quite a bit better on their own. So there's that. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed this show. I've tried not to be overly serious and I've tried to keep my emotions in check, but I have a feeling that I had a fairly monotone voice throughout the episode. And I apologize for that. But yeah, this is... This one was kind of a rough one to watch just because life, yeah, life. Anywho, if you like this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either the podcast or the episode, especially if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, please rate the show. That helps so much. It tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. The more people that hear the, you know better everything goes. So please, if you can, rate the episode. If you've got a couple bucks you can throw my way, you can click the link in the show notes that says um, Anchor Community Support. You can give it the $1, $5, or $10 a month levels. That money helps out tremendously. Help me get my new mic that I'm talking to you on. Help me get vellum that I promise the book is coming. It's coming. It's going to look beautiful. <laughs> because I have vellum to work on it now and the maps are going to look really fun because I now have world worldographer and I wouldn't have any of that without your support. So thank you very much to everyone who does that. If you don't have the money to give, that's all right. Trust me right now, especially 
I understand money being tight because money is very tight right now. Um, if you don't have the money to give or you just don't feel like giving it, giving right now, then please share this podcast with others. That helps out a lot too because the more we grow, the more we grow. And it just helps all the way, all the ways. Um, thank you to everybody who has been helping. Just, you mean the world to me. I love doing this and I'm going to keep going. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm CE Dorset on Twitter. And you can find links to all my social media accounts over at projectshadow.com, as well as everything that I'm doing. And I may start blogging again. I don't know. Give some thought to it. Just more things. Um, anywho, until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.